Hey everybody, I'm Neil Blackman. This is Florida Basketball Hour. On this week's show, Eric Fawcett, GetterCountry.com, myself, we're going to talk more about Florida's offense, uh, talk about Eric's article, what's worked, what hasn't, what Florida might want to do more of, less of. We'll discuss uh, that article in conjunction with Mike White's press conference this week, and we'll also offer up a pretty lengthy uh, preview of the Providence game up in Brooklyn on uh, Tuesday night. Big game for the Gators. Chance to uh, get a nice win. Not a great win, but certainly one that they'll need to have uh, as they head into a much bigger game, the Orange Bowl Classic, Saturday against Utah State. Remember to leave those ratings. They do matter uh, in terms of our placement, in terms of sponsorship interest, that kind of thing. Hit us up, iTunes. Drop a rating, a review. Please send us suggestions at Florida BB Hour on Twitter. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric um, this week wrote, I think, one of the best basketball articles that I have read in a really long time. And, and I'd like, you could be, and actually I've had three people different from different teams direct message me or, you know, that cover different teams and say they've listened to us this year, Eric, uh, to kind of get an idea of Florida. So if there's a Providence writer that's listening, uh, anything you want to know about Florida, but also a great basketball article period um, from, from Eric this week. Uh, called analyzing Florida's offensive play, everything you needed to know about Florida's offense. Um, I'm not going to ask you to like recap the entire article, Eric, but you know, why don't you just tell us what this exhaustive kind of case study taught you about what Florida's doing offensively? Sure. Um, I appreciate the compliment for sure. And uh, I think that this was kind of the convergence uh, of two different uh, kind of thoughts. Uh, the one thought was like, you know, it's clear that Florida is trying to run more sets. Uh, it's clear that they've instituted them. So I just wanted to say, like, hey, like, um, they're using all of these sets. Why not try to find out which ones work and, and which ones don't? And uh, and uh, that's kind of was the start of it. I wanted to know, like, hey, when Florida runs uh, this particular set that I've kind of noticed, um, first of all, how often do they actually run that set? Uh, and how effective is it? So I, I, what I just simply did is I, I, I went and I watched every single possession. And then I, I uh, first I kind of categorized uh, what kind of possession is it? Like what kind of play are they running? Um, so I did that. And then I, of course, said, uh, what happened? Did they score? Did they not score? Did they turn it over? And, and for that, using that, I was able to get a points per possession. So part of it was like, hey, what are... Uh, uh, what are what exactly are the plays Florida running, and what is the frequency at which they're they're calling these plays? I also, you know, there's been a lot of talk of, hey, should Florida be playing their just motion offense, or should they be set reliant, or uh, people who are screaming, hey, get Florida needs to get out and run. Uh, is there kind of merit to that? So I wanted to figure all that out. Um, there's also part of me that there's like a ton of people who still think like like adamantly believe that Florida and Mike White do not have an offense. Uh, that's amazing people who think that so i also wanted to (laughs) say like hey like this is this is florida's offense so that's kind of why um i I realized it almost sounded pretentious to say everything you need to know about florida's offense but i also wanted people to like i did want people who say mike white doesn't have an offense to be able to read it and if any like if anyone thought that mike white didn't have an offense which is already a stupid thought like I, i would say just say hey read my article and 
tell me what you think afterwards. Yeah. Um, so there was that element. And then there's also, I know there's just like some great fans that listen to the podcast or, or read, and uh, they just want to know a little bit more about basketball and a little bit more of what Florida does. And um, if you're one of those people, uh, take a look when Florida plays Providence or, or moving forward, I, you're going to see uh, the sets that were laid out. Maybe there'll be some new stuff, but uh, you'll see the stuff was outlined. So those were kind of the, the three thoughts was like, for the fan who thought Mike White didn't have an offense, he has an offense. He's got a lot of sets. Uh, for those of you who are good basketball fans, love the Gators, and just want some more fun stuff to look out for, uh, you now know everything that Florida has ran this year. And uh, also for for those who say like, hey, Florida should just be running more. Well, the numbers say that they haven't been great on offense and just pushing it a ton might not be the best thing. Um, and then you can also see what sets have been working and uh, and what haven't. So those are... Uh, that that's kind of all the uh, the thought process process that went in. That's awesome. What what it looks like one of the things that stuck out to me was that one area of offense where Florida had a pretty good number of possessions this season and have have been pretty successful uh, is is with high ball screens and you know Florida fans that know a little more about offense and a little more about basketball or fans that just want to learn, I could tell you that that was like, you know, the staple of the Billy Donovan offense. I know people like to get obsessed with the Euro screen innovations and that kind of stuff, Eric, but really like Billy just ball screens you to death. And, and this Florida team has been pretty good on high ball screens. Yeah. It's really like the, the simplest of, uh, of things that they kind of run. Everything else is more complex, but I think that it just really does. It, it's actually almost the, uh, uh, almost the middle point between the playing fast and, and free and, and kind of allowing players to be decision makers that, that White wants to do uh, with also a little bit of structure because you do want a particular, something that White said in his press conference, we'll get into it, is you know, making sure that you know exactly who is where and who is screening for who on, on possessions. Uh, will this make sure that your best ball handler, uh, Andrew Nemhard, and you know, your best screen and roll or pick and pop thread in Kerry Blackshear setting the screen. Uh, something that I, I noticed, especially watching the early games where Florida was still playing their kind of uh, their regular motion offense that we've seen in the past. Uh, one thing that didn't work was, uh, you know, like there was times where it was uh, Noah Locke was in a driving situation. The floor was space and it was, you know, him having to attack a closeout and make plays. And it's like, well, that's not really his strength. And there was also scenarios where it was Scotty Lewis. Uh, someone was coming to set a screen for Scotty Lewis as a ball handler. Well, that's not exactly his strength. And I think that that's kind of part of the reason yeah. that motion wasn't working with this team. So yeah. you get a high ball screen where you make sure, hey, you know, you've got Andrew Nemhard distributing, Kerry Blackshear's the role threat. Uh, you've got Noah Locke spacing perfectly. You've got Keontae Johnson in a position where he could cut uh, or he could, uh, you know, be the replace guy and, and have a catch and shoot three. Uh, it's it's just a, a really smart way to utilize your talent. So uh, it is interesting that uh, something that's probably their simplest, well, I, I would say their simplest offense, uh, high ball screen has been pretty effective. Yeah, I really think it is. Another one that I think um, we both – Eric and I will text periodically if something interesting is happening in the basketball world, I think. Right, Eric? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, this just came from, from watching film for a game that I was coaching, but um, you know, we were getting ready to play a point guard who was kind of a guy you could drop off of, like a really good distributor, but we weren't too worried about him scoring. And one thing that they kept doing was, because they also had a dominant power forward, is getting him inside ball screen actions. 
where like he's comfortable shooting from that spot on the floor was my theory, but also they could keep reposting their power forward. And I, I started, I texted Eric about how I think Florida should do that more because it gets carried back in the low post. Um, Mike White said some interesting things about that in the press conference we're going to get to, but Florida hasn't run a lot of them, but their side ball screen actions have been pretty good. Yeah. I, I like the side ball screen. Uh, it's kind of simply put someone was setting a screen for the screener to go, get a sideball screen something i like about the sideball screen especially if you get some like this is where i'd love to see trey man use uh if you know if you start yeah. a high ball screen from 30 feet uh you know unless you're you know trey trey young or uh, uh you know, <laughs> steph curry you're probably not pulling that so uh but i mean if you start a, a sideball screen from about the free throw line extended like a quite low uh as soon as uh, you know, as soon as you start the screen and roll, you're a threat to shoot. So the screen can come uh, if the guy guarding the ball handler decides to cheat under the screen. You can shoot. Uh, if you start yeah. to dribble around the ball handler, you can pull up. You're you're just always a scoring threat. So I really like that element of that the kind of side ball screen, uh, especially if Trey Trey Mann was doing it, or um, Keontae Johnson, I, or Keontae Johnson for sure. And then. Uh, like you were mentioning, it's also a really good opportunity to post because when you start that side ball screen, you can either throw, you know, usually you have a guy in the near corner just to occupy a defender who can't help because he doesn't want to help from one pass away. Yeah. Uh, and then you've usually got a guy at the top, so you can swing it to him. So you can really do the uh, the swing and then dump it down low. So there's, I, I do think it's easier to post out of the uh, the side ball screen. And uh, yeah, the numbers have shown it's been effective for Florida. So I think it's going to, it's going to keep coming. Their um, Princeton offense about, or and we should, we're gonna get into the press conference because it's uh, apparently, I guess Florida basketball hours is guiding some conversation. It certainly felt that way. <laughs> we we should not say that about ourselves. It's probably not at all true. Um, but uh, 147 possessions in the motion at 0.857. Princeton a little better, about half the number of possessions, but 0.88. Uh, were you surprised that they were kind of close though, in terms of point per possession? Um, I, I was a little surprised. Uh, one thing is like the motion offense really got just like tanked by, uh, the kind of games against Florida state and Townsend where Uh it didn't go well at all in the motion. And I would also say early in the season, the Princeton offense was kind of used in garbage time. So it was a lot of Florida's bench players running the, um, running that action. So I don't think it went particularly well. I mean, if you actually look at the last two games, um, the Princeton is, is over a point per possession. So uh, I, I think if you look at kind of a recent history, the, the Princeton's been better. So I actually thought that overall that points per possession was going to be better, but it has been good recently. Um, that's also, if we're talking just like specific sets, uh, the wedge ball screen was has like just absolutely murdered uh, Butler. I think it was like 1.4 or 1.5 points per possession. And then if you look at the last couple games, it was over a point per possession as well. So for those, uh, for those keeping track at home, I think it was this – this Princeton look, as well as uh, as well as the wedge ball screen, have been the the most effective as of uh, recent history. Also, your your analysis, because this is a good segue to the press conference. Everyone should go read Eric's article if you haven't. But um, it looked like your analysis kind of indicated that Florida has run better offense in the last couple of games. I really think so. And uh, like the one thing that you could just look at, like look at the raw points per possession. Uh, against Butler, it was 0.95. So, I mean, uh, pretty good. that's that's actually it's pretty, pretty good. good. I know a lot of people thought it was bad, but, like, if you just look at um, at that, it actually 
the raw numbers, it, it, it wasn't that bad. And then you add in just the, the fact that Florida got really good looks. I, I mean, I'm always going to be someone who, like, I love points for possession. Um, that's something I use all the time. I don't, I, honest, to be honest with people, I don't, I don't even look at field goal percentage that often. It's, uh, I kind of just look at points for possession. But uh, so that was already not bad. And then you look at the quality of shots Florida had. They, they got really good shots. And um, a lot of them didn't fall. And I know some people are saying, like, getting really tired of hearing that. But uh, I, I still just truly believe if you get open shots, eventually they're going to fall. And, um, you know, my poor White just got absolutely crucified for saying after the Butler game that it was the best offense the team has played this year. Um, I'm going to side with Coach here. I, I actually do think that Florida – play. I, well, it might be a little tough for me to say the best offense, but it certainly – it was either their first or second best offensive game in my opinion. So well, Along I, I'm with gonna, the, I'm Miami, just, the Miami game, right? That would be my – yeah, that would yeah. be my take. So – uh, but I, but I actually, I, I feel bad for White. He got crucified for a comment that I actually think was very factual and would be, you know, there's a lot of very more, more casual fans who were really getting at White and thinking that was a foolish statement from him. And it's really tough to explain to them um, <laughs> quality of shots uh, and points per possession. Uh, but uh, yeah, I actually do think that Florida has ran better offensive late. I thought they actually played well against Butler, who's a good defensive team. And uh, you know what? Looking at it. Uh, a uh, second and third and even kind of fourth time while I was doing this article, uh, I am encouraged moving forward. Yeah. You know what? I, 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 uh, I did manage to make it through the Butler game a second time. And uh, because I, I, you know, he did get a lot of backlash for this and it's a good way to segue into his press conference this week. But uh, I agreed with him too. <laughs> I just thought it was uh it was one of those games where if Florida makes more shots, it's probably a different basketball game. But Florida, rightly, uh, which we talked about on the podcast, also one of Florida's worst defensive games, um, I thought. And so, you know, you still got to find that balance. If you run better offense, you still have to defend at a high level. And, you know, shout out Malik Grady, um, which this this gets me to the one point I wanted to make before we transition, and I apologize, I forgot about this altogether, Eric, was uh, – Shout out to Malik for saying that this team still like has to grow defensively to be like in a, a normal elite white defense. And, you know, right now the metrics kind of bear that out. They're not really where white teams have been. Now they're not bad by any stretch of the imagination. They're still at a very high percentage, but uh, that was a good point. Um, so sh- shout out to Malik for that. And, and um, yeah, kind of wanted to, Get into that. And I also, on the last show, I said something, Eric, about how I thought the must-champ comparisons were um, somewhat intellectually dishonest was the actual quote I used. Uh, And maybe intellectually dishonest was a little too harsh. Uh, So anybody that was offended by that, certainly I I apologize. I don't think that they're fair from a pure statistical standpoint. Like I get that there are surface-level similarities. They're both nice guys that everybody in the administration likes. they both appear to recruit really well and they both, you know, on the surface appear to have struggles with offense. All I'll say is that, you know, if you dig just a little bit deeper, you see like a must champ. I know Eric, we're getting, I don't want to get too deep in the football weeds, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, Will Muschamp's best offense was barely in the top half of the country. So Mike White's worst offense was still well in the top half of the country. Uh, and you can say, well, there's more teams. Well, yeah, there are. But, you know, there's also more good teams in college basketball than there are in college football. So to some extent, I think that, you know, any any statistical analysis 
would reveal that it's not a particularly good comparison. I shouldn't have said intellectually dishonest though, because that's not fair. There are certainly surface level disparities and it was good of Malik to, to hit me up and, and call me out on that. Now, as for White's press conference, uh, he kind of doubled down, Eric. He kind of doubled down on, on, well, we ran pretty good offense. And then he said uh, basketball is a game about making shots and got it obliterated again. Uh, but he's kind of right. That would be my take. What were your thoughts on this, this uh, somewhat controversial press conference? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I like I said, I totally agree with him that they played good offense against Butler, and I think that, uh, like, this is a, I mean, something you might talk about, but like, one thing that is awesome about Mike White is he's going to be awesome or honest, um, and uh, the fact that again, he he, I I don't know if he knew that fan, I don't know if he looks at what people say uh, on Twitter or whatever, but when he first said that Butler was their best offensive performance, um, you know, he got raked across the coals and then he probably knowing that said it again uh and he doubled down on what he believed and i will say that i totally agree with him i I do think that they played better and you know there was a there was a point where he said you know i'm not going to try to say it verbatim but it was um you know you get open shots you got to hit them and i know some people are uh that aren't fans of white are still like hey like you recruited these guys and therefore anything that go ever goes wrong is is your fault well yeah right you know like (laughs) Uh, and that's not something i i kind of ascribe to i mean like i i have pointed out in the past i actually i'll get a fresh update right now so right now uh on catch and shoot attempts uh, florida is getting 66 percent of their looks unguarded so uh that is an awesome percentage and uh they're knocking them down at a 32.2 percent clip um or that's uh they're actually improving on that a little bit they're at 0.944 points per possession which is uh, they're actually improving since we first started talking about this um, that's still, uh, you know, that's a ton of unguarded looks. And uh, I think, like, I know White said, you know, you've got to hit some of those looks, especially on the road, if you're going to win. And I know some people are just going to say, like, well, you got to recruit better shooters. you got, like, people that are looking for it to be White's fault. Um, I, 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 I mean, I agree with him. You get, if you get, if you continually get above 60% of your shots, your catch and shoot attempts unguarded, um, I don't know what to say. Like, guys, guys do need to knock down shots. So, I will say that there was two controversial kind of things that, that White said. Um, he first said that Butler was the best offensive performance. Um, he also kind of said that his guys need to hit shots. I'm going to go two for two agreeing with, uh, agreeing with Coach White here. So I thought that the third thing that, that raised some eyebrows but wasn't quite covered as much, I guess, because uh, I want to get into the Princeton concepts thing that he talked about too, where he basically – he said it's not a Princeton offense, and then you could see him like processing it and being like, "Well, there are some concepts." I think. What did he say? There are some concepts, and then kind of went like, you know, oh well, you know, more rules, more rules is what it is. Um, but we can get into that now, I guess. Uh, you know, he he basically said they went into the summer wanting to run this read and react freedom offense. And they thought that was the best way to max out the team. And he said, after three basketball games, they pretty much scrapped it and went into some other stuff. And now they're, you know, they almost essentially started over. So certainly a miscalculation by the staff, you think? Yeah, I I think so. And, uh, you know, I, it's something that obviously white is comfortable with um, the, this kind of uh, free flowing motion dribble drive. Um, I, I think if you look at your talent, you've still got to look at, you know, the fact that Noah Locke is, is going to be in your starting lineup. And 
Uh, he's just not right now a, a threat to be a dribble drive guy. And I would say that that's also not the best. I, I wouldn't have guessed it was going to be the best way to, Andrew, to use Andrew Nemhard. And I would say that's um, kind of bared things out. So, uh, and I also give uh, full full props, full respect for, for being able to try something new and saying like, hey, we are going to scrap this and, and go in a different direction. Um, that was something he said, also knowing that people were going to be upset, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, also the, the thing about the Princeton offense, I, I, I will say that like, Really, there's like that first action that Florida, like he runs where it goes guard to guard. And then there's yeah. the back screen, the chin screen for for the guard that just passed the ball. Yep. Uh, and then they get to other action. Like that, that is a very like Princeton way to start the offense. Uh, from there, it's, it's not really a Princeton offense. So um, him saying that it wasn't a Princeton offense, that that is fair. And, and I would be guilty of just like, it's, well, kind, we... of, it's, it's kind of nice to be able to uh, <laughs> just call it something. Because yeah, like, right, right, right. So, so I, I will say that like he is he is fair. Obviously, well, obviously he's fair. He's yeah. Uh, I, it's not a Princeton offense. It really starts with a Princeton. Uh, like like I kind of even said in my article that that chin screen, that chin cut, that is like the characteristic action of the Princeton offense. So it's it's easy to categorize it as a Princeton. Um, it's really not a true Princeton offense. Um, I would also say that like in a lot of coaching circles, there would be negative connotations with the Princeton offense. It was something that like. Some people think it's slow, it's boring, it's it's archaic. Um, it was also it was like one of those offenses that was used a lot in the pre-shot clock era, where you could just like run it slowly for fifty-five seconds, and eventually the defense would get tired or bored or whatever. So, uh, so I think that there's still a little like you know like uh, right now like if you remember a couple of years ago when Phil Jackson said he wanted to play the triangle offense and it was instantly a a, a punchline. Uh, the Princeton offense isn't def- – it's definitely not at that level, but there's definitely, like, some coaches who would find some negative connotations with the Princeton. So I think there may – like, I don't know, maybe there's an element where he's like, yeah, no, it's not a Princeton. But uh, but I will say, yeah, it's it's really not a true Princeton offense, and it really is a Princeton action that then goes into the making reads and uh, and kind of playing th- – uh, uh, yeah, just kind of – yeah, making reads and, and playing out of concepts versus, like, a, the strictly rigid Princeton. Yeah, no, and I think we've we've most for the most part we've either called it we've we've called it a Princeton, but kind of been quick to say it's more like a Princetonian concept <laughs> than it is the whole offense. That's one of the things. Like I feel like there are concepts you can use. I think I talked about the high post series on one pause on one pod this season, Eric, where I said, you know, I'd like to see them, you know, make those make that slot to slot pass and have Blackshear set a back screen for somebody like Man, right, or Johnson even and have them make that back cut. Cause I feel like man Johnson and Lewis are going to be Florida's best cutters. And like, also, you know, I don't want Lewis clearing out to the ball side corner really, but if man or Johnson do, that's probably okay too. Right. So I wanted more of that. And those are still not really, it's not full Princeton offense. It's just using a Princeton concept to initiate offense. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great way to put it. So, uh, uh, yeah, but I, so I will say that it was a little, uh, little. I, I guess uh, call, calling it Princeton was was incorrect, but it, it is also nice to just like say like, hey, it's the Princeton offense, not like, hey, so yeah, they go to run yeah. that set that's a chin screen into a down screen. Yeah, so uh, so I'll probably keep calling it the Princeton offense for uh, for ease. Yeah, but, no, uh, I, I, I guess those, you know, people can people can know that uh, yeah that it's uh, that it's not a true Princeton offense. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's modernized, quite frankly. So his another interesting area where. You know, because we've gotten to the point where now everybody's like, well, who cares if we're that efficient? We're athletic, so we should run. That's That really is a solution. A lot of people just, they don't care. I think they want to see more points 
in any way possible. So I guess they figure they'd rather lose 80 to 77 than 63 to 58. This is really something that I've thought about. And so they're like, well, you guys should play faster, play faster. And, and white kind of dropped some metrics on that, you know, like we're turning the ball over at a 25% rate and transition. So if we played faster than we are right now, which is one sixth of possession, 16%, um, you know, he said, what did he say? We'd leave the nation in turnovers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts on, uh, on that? Cause I think the damning statistic for me is the, like the fact that only Kerry Blackshear and Andrew Nimard have positive assisted turnover ratios on the whole team right now. Yeah. I mean, I I'm a big fan of teams using analytics and metrics. And uh, so to hear, uh, to hear white referencing that, uh, is, uh, it, yeah, it shows he's keeping an eye on that. And I love that. I love, love analytics. So when he's going to use them, I'm very happy. Uh, something he also said, um, I believe he referenced them being in the 16th percentile of transition offense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a, a very like, which is like, I, I would be pretty sure that that means he's referencing a synergy statistic, which is something that, uh, that I use. So I can tell you this as well. So uh, it was before the game, uh, Florida was 16, in the 16th percentile. Yeah, he said he hadn't saying. looked at it after Butler. Right? <laughs> and after yeah. Butler, it is now the 7th percentile. <laughs> so, uh, which, uh, yeah, which I mean, it wasn't actually that big of a drop. I mean, once you just, you know, 353 yeah. teams, it's whatever. Right. So, uh, but yeah, so right now, Florida is 0.882 points per possession in the half court. They are 0.849 in transition. Um, so it's, they're better in the half court. Uh, they're also turning the ball over at 23.3% clip in transition and 13.4% in the half court. So, you know, 10% more of the time in transition, uh, they're turning the ball over. Um, I'm not going to say this as like a hard and fast rule because I, I, I don't know it for sure. But I will say like I have for the last four years um, looked at a lot of teams profiles on, on synergy and kind of studied them analytically. I honestly, off the top of my head, cannot think of a time that I've seen a team that uh, that scores better in the half court in tra- than in transition. Uh, I'm sure they exist, but like it's crazy. Like even uh, even like you know last year and the year before when Florida wasn't a great transition team, they were still hovering at around a point per possession in, in transition, and uh, they were you know closer to 0.9 in the half court even when they weren't a great transition team. So I, I have to believe that Florida is going to get better in transition. Yeah, um, if if Florida if this continues and Florida's better in the half court than in transition from a points per possession standpoint, I, like I just personally anecdotally, it would be the first time I've ever seen that from a Division One team, um, which I'm sure is not I'm sure is not true. I'm sure it's happened and probably happens a lot. Just the teams I've looked at hasn't been the case. But uh, White has a great point. Right now, it's it's simply half court is better than transition, and uh, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said that. I think that a lot of people would rather lose whatever you said, 85 to 80, then yeah. 65 to 60. Um, t- to me, I don't personally, you know, I, that wouldn't be my personal, my personal take. I mean, obviously, and something else is that I, that I did appreciate what White said is said, yeah, again, I'm not, this isn't verbatim, but he said, you know, like we're not looking to run right now because the numbers show that we're not great in transition, but we're still working on transition every day in practice. Right. So I, I really appreciated that comment. I thought it was really intelligent because it showed that right now they know that they're better in half court and transition, which is factually true. Um, but it also showed when he said, we're working on it every day that he knows that you need to be good in transition. Like eventually Florida is going to need to be better. So we're, they're still working on it every day. So uh, 
I thought that was uh, very intelligent, very analytically driven um, statements from White. So uh, I-, I was happy to hear. That. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I think they, they, I think people would be more. I really do. I think a couple of weeks ago, Western Kentucky beat Arkansas, eighty-six seventy-nine, which was a game. If you can't tell, we're going to talk about. If you didn't know, we were going to talk about the SEC on this pod. I just gave it away, right? Uh, and in that game, you know, you're talking about well over a hundred possession, a hundred and yeah, hundred fifty possession game. So lots of possessions. Um, and I, yeah, I feel like Florida fans would just be like, well, you know, it, it's better because. Desi Sills and Darius Jones had 20-something each, and they just lost. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, Western Kentucky had 1.07 points per possession in that game. Like, would you be happy with that defense? I know that would drive me crazy. (laughs) But I feel like that's just kind of where people are right now. And I'm not saying that Florida's offense – we've done four shows in of the 11 – this is our 11th show of this season – We've done four shows where almost all we've talked about is how Florida needs to improve offensively. I just think that when you look at like what some of the solutions that are suggested are, there's a reason that they're not doing those things. And it's not just malpractice and incompetence, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> oh, no, it's totally true. And I, I, I <laughs> once again, I think that was laid out with uh, when White said, hey, I, we're right, right now we're better in the half court. Um, but we're working on transition every day in practice. That would be my, per- like my personal beliefs yeah. of what the team should do. Uh, that would be exactly it. So uh, I got to say I'm in, in full agreement there. Yeah, and he said uh, they had a couple good days of practice. That was encouraging. Um, it's been updated to three consecutive good practices in a row uh, from what I've been told as they head to uh, New York, play Providence in Brooklyn Tuesday night. Uh, Providence was a team that was kind of all over the place in preseason prognostications. There were some people that thought that, uh, that this particular version – of Ed Cooley's Providence Friars was going to be a team that competed to win the Big East. There were some that had them kind of middle of the pack. They really were all over the place. They look more like middle of the pack to bottom of the Big East uh, when you watch them. Yeah, and I mean, I was one of the people that thought they'd be better, and a lot of it was because uh, so was I. they have a ton of experience and they've got a ton of seniors. Uh, you look at uh, uh, a lot of – like I think they have five or six seniors. I should probably look at that number, but I, I think they have five seniors. Um, you know, Alpha Diallo was was tremendous. He's kind of been consistently tremendous. Uh, Khalif Young is, has been like a good, solid, like bruising big man. Uh, he's someone who uh, they have five. Uh, I kind of thought he was going to take. OK, that's yeah, there you go. Um, and then they, you know, uh, they got uh, uh, the one Pipkins, who is like a big, big time transfer from UMass. I mean, uh, well, big, fairly big time. I mean, uh, one of the more sought after guys. And uh, yeah, they got they've been recruiting pretty well. I mean. Ed Cooley kind of runs New England and gets anyone he wants from that area from a recruiting standpoint. So uh, you look at there that they brought in some nice recruits that they're old. Uh, you would have probably thought that they're uh, uh, that they'd be better. I certainly thought they'd be better myself. Uh, and that, uh, that hasn't been the case, you know, uh, lost to Long Beach state who the Gators are going to see lost to Charleston, uh, lost to Rhode Island, uh, lost to Western. And I would say uh, those would be the, well, Long Beach State shouldn't be one of the four best teams they've played. Uh, they current, you know, they're 287th in Ken Palm. Uh, but uh, the best teams they've seen are, are Northwestern and Penn and Rhode Island. They've lost all of them um, and lost, uh, you know, pretty comfortably to all three. So things have not go- gone uh, particularly well for them. 
Yeah, I think so. I think Pepperdine's probably one of the best four teams they've played. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. But but still, and Stony Brook's probably fifth for me. But still, you know, like Florida, not winning the bulk of their difficult games. Um, unlike Florida, really taking some rough losses. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty tough to, uh, you know, you lose. To, like Penn's a good team. Uh, tough loss. That, they were at home. Uh, you know, the, I guess, you know, Rhode Island away, that's one. Uh, that's a pretty good team. But uh, I, I would also say the, the way in which they have lost has uh, yeah. uh, not been particularly uh, uh, particularly good. I mean, this actually, I, I wanted to get into this earlier. I was able to show restraint. Um, so they're mm-hmm. a team that really struggles offensively. Um, they, uh, in, while they have struggled offensively, they have decided that they're going to run a lot. So they are 32nd in the country in offensive possession length. So they play particular, they play really fast uh, and they take, uh, let me go see quickly. I lost the number. They take 18% of their shots in transition. Uh, just as a little bit of a reference, Florida takes 10.8. So they take significantly more uh, percentage of their shots in transition. So they're a team that has said, Hey, we don't score really well. Uh, let's go push it a ton. Uh, well, pushing it a ton has still resulted in a lot of missed shots, uh, except for more turnovers. So, uh, and also a ton of losses. So, I would say for for people who think, "Hey, Florida doesn't score very well, but they're athletic," uh, you should just go run a lot more. Uh, Providence shows that that you know isn't the the instant solution that uh, some people might think it is. Yeah, and like like Florida, they appear to have kind of decided to do that midstream. Which you know, hey, look, another staff that tried to do something totally different. Um, after the Northwestern loss, they played pretty slow and inefficiently against St. Peter's and then really started to to ratchet up the speed as they prepared for Wooden Legacy, and it didn't help. They lost three games trying to go fast. Now, College of Charleston really slowed them down. I played very deliberately, which College of Charleston does. Um, but, you know, they didn't have a lot of answers. I think the biggest thing with them is that you know, I thought they'd be better because of the five seniors. I was with them. I really like a player they have named AJ Reeves too, who I think is a really good shooter. Um, although not shooting at a high percentage this season. Uh, and so I thought they had offensive weapons and then I figured all Ed Cooley teams defend. If any of this is sounding familiar, let me know. Um, you know, and I love Alpha Diallo. I think, He's just a tremendous player. So let, let's start with there because I feel like he's kind of, you know, if Providence is going to – and I, it would be an upset, but if Providence is going to upset Florida, Alpha's got to go off. Yeah, he's really good. Someone who can handle the ball at like 6'7". Uh, so he kind of just creates mismatches. He's someone that uh, uh, can be can be tough, especially um, – Providence plays flex offense, something you see uh, from Tennessee a little bit. Um, I would say that Providence runs it more – uh, more of the just like very traditional flex offense. Uh, that's like an action that uh, involves three players. So first, the uh, there's a baseline kind of back screen for a quick post up or a layup, uh, and then there's a down screen for for the screener who can pop up, and then the same action will happen on the other side. Uh, so what happens a lot of times with Diallo is he gets that little back cross screen, uh, and gets it dumped into on the post, and he's either and he's usually got a mismatch. So uh, a player that's really good at finishing around the rim. A little bit of a streaky shooter, but he's just so strong. Uh, really good touch and uh, and a tough matchup. So I, I do think that uh, if uh, if they're going to have success against Florida, uh, he's going to be the guy to uh, to kind of watch out for. So uh, especially on those little kind of cross screens, because uh, we know Florida does not want to give up layups, but uh, they've also 
uh, done a good job of, of preventing those uh, uh, those in close shots. But uh, yeah, what do, what do you see from Diallo? Uh, yeah, I mean, just a complete player, guy that you know really gets after it on on the defensive side. Kind of starts there. Uh, you know, I think the numbers kind of bear out that that he's you know a complete player. Uh, he's a guy that you wonder why they go so fast because he's so good at getting steals and and kind of playing under control that you know you feel like they could generate tempo just from his defense which usually what providence teams do they don't try to ratchet up uh tempo i feel like i don't know um it is interesting to me that his defensive rating right now and his box minus are the lowest they've been in his career but maybe some of that is just the team's yeah, it's it's interesting talking about him kind of doing doing it all. You look at just like Ken Palm, and it's uh, he's uh, kind of they rank like the top four hundred players nationally uh, in kind of each category. I mean, he's up there in offensive rebounding. He's up there in defensive rebounding. Uh, he's up there in assist rate. Uh, he's up there in block rate or yeah, block percentage, steal percentage. Uh, he's so he really does do it all. Um, it is a team that. Uh, yeah, just hasn't been great defensively. I think some of it has to do with uh, Pipkins is a is a smaller point guard that uh, has kind of gotten hurt in some matchups. And then Khalif Young is a, a pretty big fella at the center position. Uh, he's someone who's a Canadian. I've watched him since he was in high school. Tough physical player, but if you get him in space, uh, that's uh, just not his game. Um, so yeah, but I mean, you look at their roster and they've got athletes and they're they're old. So I. It's you know watching uh, watching the the possessions I watch kind of in preparation. Uh, it, it's tough to say why they're poor. Like honestly, I, I'm struggling to see why they are poor defensively. Um, other than yeah. they just seem to just lack that ro- that particular rotation. They seem to just uh, they defend well and then they just allow one straight line drive. Or they uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to say because I mean you look at them, they should be good. Um, they play a zone. They play this two three zone that kind of starts as a it looks like a one three one but then they match up in a, in a two three uh so it can be a little bit confusing and uh it actually looks pretty good but it just seemed to to break down at the wrong moments to allow a shot um yeah i think they're they're a little bit snake bitten but uh, i i mean it's not like this has been one or two bad performances they haven't uh, been particularly dominant on the defensive side uh in, in any of their games no i mean they got a six-year senior in emmett holt who uh is kind of the inspirational leader of the team captain he he almost died a couple of years ago. It might have been last year. Uh, it, anyway, there's some off-court stuff that was going on, and and you know, a guy that can really score pretty efficiently and hasn't done that. Um, you know, so I feel like w- w- last year the story with them was well, they're missing him in Holt for large stretches of the year, and so that was a big problem. Well, you know, we were told that with him at Holt back, this was going to be a really good team, and. Um, you know, he barely played last night against Stony Brook. Uh, barely played in the in the loss to Rhode Island, where they really were just outclassed. Um, so there's some strange stuff going on. I think one of the issues is that Luan Pipkins, and you can't even say he's had the real step up in competition because they're again their non conference has not been excruciatingly difficult. Um, Luan Pipkins, a guy that reminds me a little of Kayvon Allen, if you just look at him in a vacuum statistically. Uh, or and, and you look at his size, like he's he's smaller than Kayvon is, and he plays point guard purely. So there's surface level differences, but Luan Pipkins is a guy with a nice build that that can really attack the basket and gets his points that way. But when you look at his four year progression, Eric, 
the sophomore season seems really weird, right? Because he shot 42% from beyond the arc. He shot 43% overall. He averaged over 20 points and you're like, man, he can really score. Well, this year he's shooting under 30 from the field, from the field, under 30 from three points. Uh, you know, his assists are still good. His assist to turnover ratio is excellent still, but Kind of a guy where that one season convinces you he's a better offensive player than he is, which reminds me of Kayvon Allen. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, I'm laughing because I'm looking at Ken Palm. And for uh, those of you that are Ken Palm users, when you look at a particular player, it, it draws player comparisons. So it's statistically, um, like, so, you know, like you could look at Andrew Nemhard and it would be like Kendall Marshall, uh, t- 2013 or whatever year that would have been um so anyways uh luan pipkins from 2019 it's it says similar luan pipkins 2018 so uh he's just uh to show how similar he uh, has been to uh to himself and i, I also see that he uh last year he shot 20 28.1 percent from three this year he is shooting 28.1 percent from three so uh just uh poor shooting uh you know he, he wasn't he didn't shoot the ball well as a freshman uh you know absolutely torched as a sophomore didn't shoot the ball well last year, and now is shooting the identical percentage. So uh, uh, that's pretty wild. Because uh, I mean, now this is like you know he's taking sixty-four three-point attempts. So the sample size is uh, is pretty good, and he's not hitting them. And uh, uh, I would say for a team like Providence that uh, uh, does you know definitely needs those those shot makers because uh, Alpha Diallo is a guy that's uh, never been a good uh, a good shooter, and right. uh, because they are really trying to get the ball. Uh, inside their team that kind of thrives getting buckets around the rim. They could use some of that floor spacing and uh, Pipkins. They might've thought they were getting uh, something a little closer to the sophomore Pipkins, but uh, yeah, it hasn't been the case. Well, it was funny last night because Ed Cooley, after the Stony Brook win, you know, he tells the media, well, that's how we, we know we can shoot the ball. And sometimes you just got to make shots. You guys can all like pause and laugh now. Pause your, <laughs> um, <laughs> But they shot twelve of twenty-seven from three last night, so they they survived basically. And uh, by the way, I think Stony Brook is decent. Um, you know, the America East is actually a pretty good mid-major league. Um, but I mean, they got a guy AJ Reeves, and you know, he's the ultimate shooter. Shoot, right? Like he just he's gonna launch. Uh, and this year. He's maybe one of the most inefficient. Yeah, he's he is in fact one of the most inefficient players in the Big East right now, um, because you you can't shoot twenty seven percent from three point range when you're taking five a game. No, that's that hurts. And I mean, yeah, guys <laughs> definitely let it fly because right now they've got you know Pipkins is a guy that uh, hasn't shot the ball well. He's taken sixty four three so far. Uh, AJ Reeves <laughs> hasn't shot the three well. He's taken 33. Uh, Malik White hasn't shot the three well. He's taken 44. And Alpha Diallo, who has a career full of not being a good shooter, has still taken 39 threes. So it is clear that they're uh, uh, trying to let him fly. Uh, but uh, yeah, they haven't been hitting them at a, at a great percentage. Uh, because of that, they've seen, uh, well, this is probably part of the reason. Be- uh, because they don't shoot well, they've, uh, they've seen a lot of zone this year. T- like they've faced like 35% of their possessions have been against zone, which is which is a lot. Uh, yeah. So it's clear that teams have kind of tried to dare them to shoot. And I mean, there are some teams that are a lot worse than Florida who have dared Providence to shoot and uh, won games that way. So uh, Florida can definitely do that. I think you've got to uh, kind of got to bank on the fact that they probably won't shoot particularly well on a, 
neutral floor. Uh, and if you can take away the rim against this team and, and make them jump shooters, I, I think you'll have success. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you that. So I think you expect to see some zone. I expect to see plenty of Kerry Blackshear in the post in this game because I just don't know how well this team matches up with them. Again, you know, Emmett Holt, the guy who kind of has had an injury riddle career, is going to give up size and height um, against him. They could try to bang Khalif Young with him, uh, Eric, but I think they're giving up. It's weird to say you're giving up quickness, but the way Blackshear moves his feet, I think it's a it's not the best matchup for Khalif Young. Uh, so I do think Florida can exploit their size, even though Providence has a bunch of wings. Yeah, well, I think that – so Providence has played, uh, let's see, 18.4% of their possessions as zone. So they played a, a pretty good amount of zone, and I would expect to see them play zone against Florida because I don't, I don't think that they like the matchup of Blackshear against, uh, you know, young – Khalif Young one-on-one. I would also right. say that, uh, you know what, Florida hasn't shot the ball particularly well this year. So I think that Ed Cooley is going to be a guy that looks at their three-point percentage and says, like, uh, hey, let's uh, let's play zone if, and uh, see if they can hit threes. Uh, uh, so I'm kind of expecting – I'm expecting them to play some zone, try to take Blackshear out of it and, and, and make Florida's guard score. Um, and like you said, they've got pretty, they've got, you know, some good length other than like Pipkins is a smaller player, but he, like you said, he's, he's built well, he moves, moves his feet well. But I mean, other than that, you're looking at six, five, six, 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 seven, all across the, the perimeter positions. So they've got kind of length to pack the paint and then, then get out to shooters. So, so I'm going to predict a good, a good bit of zone and uh, as they try to take Blackshear out of it. Uh, but uh, yeah, if, if they're not, I, I would love to see, I would love to see Kerry Blackshear on the block a little bit more. That's, that's, I mean, that's another thing that uh that white addressed at the press conference talking about the way that uh that blackshear has been used in some games oh, he'll be, yeah uh, he'll be playing around the perimeter more often and, and some games he'll be playing in the in the post more often so uh it'll be interesting to see what they do i mean if they play zone he might be uh he might be someone who they use as a, a perimeter option and see if he gets another six threes off or something or uh, maybe throw him in the high post but um i will say so they start that zone like i said it, it really is a two three zone they start in like a one, three, one, and then kind of match out of it. So it, it might be tough to get that initial look inside. Uh, but also, Hey, Florida's got some time to prepare. So if you can get the ball inside of that zone before they get matched up in their two, three, uh, you're going to pick it apart pretty good. So uh, it's something I'm looking forward to. What did you think about the comments before we move on to the SEC to finish the show? Did you think white said he, he saw a lot of possessions where Blackshear was on the perimeter at Virginia tech. And that was, that's been one kind of criticism from fans on message boards. I've seen, Oh, this isn't how white was used. Uh, well, I, I, I would say from what I watch, it was, well, I've, I've referenced it a few times. I thought he was used a lot in the high post, uh, for uh-huh. these dribble drive opportunities. Uh, and then once he cut or sorry, dribble, drive, dribble handoff opportunities right, for, right, uh, right. for those guards. And then once he would dribble handoff, I think he would dive to uh, dive inside. I mean, something that, uh, again, I've kind of referenced it a few times on the podcast and in writing is that he took less than two, three point attempts per game. So he was, I, I don't really think that he was on the outside, uh, a ton, but at the same time, like there, there were times where he, uh, uh, like those guards were so, were so good for, for Virginia tech. There was a lot of times he had one-on-one opportunities on the perimeter and he would catch and he would dribble his guy down and he'd get a straight line drive and, and lay right. it in. So, uh, so there was a good, a good deal of, uh, kind of work with him on the perimeter but I, I think it was a lot more almost like high post with his back to the basket because he was uh distributing those dribble handoffs and then he would dive down to the hoop once he gave the ball up because uh they really use the dribble handoff almost like a screen and roll 
where uh, as soon as he dribbled, he'd he'd give the handoff, he would he would dive down into the paint. So yeah, yeah, that that would be my my interpretation. Uh, but uh, you know, he played a lot. He played a he was there everything on offense. Well, I shouldn't say there. Those guards were awesome, but he was involved in in, in so much because those guys were uh, fighting injuries. So uh, yeah, there's uh, there's a few different ways that he was used. So I, I can see what White's saying, but uh, I I will say I, I still think I'm going to write about it. So I'm not going to give up the numbers that I have uh, found so far. But uh, I, I will say that uh, I think that he's better off being used more in the low post than on the perimeter. Yeah. And I think that I have some numbers to, to back that up from what is, albeit a, a bit of a small sample size from this, uh, this early season. So yesterday, this weekend's been a busy weekend in the SEC. There's another couple games today that I think are kind of interesting, um, including Clemson and South Carolina uh, getting after it. Um, yesterday kind of a mixed bag for the league um you know vanderbilt comes up just short against liberty which would have been a really good win for for vanderbilt i think liberty might be the best mid-major team right now uh certainly they're undefeated so i at least have a record supporting that claim miss state did beat kansas state though pretty good win alabama really just choked the game away against penn state sorry nato it's a Call it like I see it. Um, Memphis goes to Knoxville and wins without James Wiseman. So it looks like Memphis is uh, state champs of Tennessee in basketball and football. Um, Ole Miss in a in a buyout game beats uh, Middle Tennessee. Kentucky looked very good in the second half against Georgia Tech. Georgia looked very bad for 40 minutes against Arizona State. And I kind of covered, oh, Arkansas, space and pace. Um Beats a pretty decent Tulsa team, actually, pretty handily. So that's kind of where the league was on a weekend that Florida had off. Eric, your thoughts on early SEC? Give me, give me a team that you are surprised with, you know, pleasantly. Um, I would say, well, I'm going to say this, and, and there were some people that were that were pretty high on them, uh, but I, I probably wasn't. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, but I. I <laughs> But I, I wasn't as high on Mississippi State as a lot of people were, and I, and I, uh, I actually think they're really good. And I know that they've uh, they lost to Louisiana Tech, who I was just like really impressed by. I mean, if Louisiana Tech still had Anthony Derugi this year, I mean, wow, that's a, that's a good team. So yeah. uh, very happy to have Derugi on <laughs> with the Gators, but uh, that's still a really good Louisiana Tech team. So, uh, but yeah, the Mississippi State, I just think that they, the way that they can control the glass on both sides, uh, the way that they can uh, just like out physical teams and also the way that Reggie Perry is just knocking down jump shots. Uh, I just think that they're, uh, they're a team that's really impressed me. And it's a team that I'm uh, uh, not looking forward to, uh, uh, to playing, but I think that I, uh, off the top of my head, I think Florida ha- has the home game there, but uh, that's going to be a tough opponent. And, and that's going to be a, th- that would be the team that I've been kind of impressed by though. I, I will say, I mean, I know that they just lost to a shorthand in Memphis team, but I also thought that, you know, ten- I didn't think Tennessee was going to be particularly good. Uh, but I thought Fulkerson has stepped up in a way that I didn't think he would, and, and they're playing good basketball. So uh, as much as it pains me after uh, the teams yeah. that they've had uh, these last couple of years, uh, you know, taunting uh, taunting the uh, fans at the O-Dome, uh, I, I do think that Tennessee has surprised me. Yeah, so Tennessee is is ranked right around where Florida is on offense, and one of the big things that's going on there is, you know, what's the matter with the offense? They, they kind of have two problems. One, they, they're having trouble scoring in the post, although John Fulkerson has stepped up. And then yesterday they they went six for thirty from downtown against uh, Memphis and and um, I'm just quoting from Rick Barnes here. Uh, 
we had some great looks we would love to have every night. Sometimes basketball is about making shots. And if it goes in, you're really good. And if your top three scorers go six for 30, you're not very good. Does that sound familiar? God, it feels, fam- <laughs> feels familiar to me. I wonder if he's getting murdered on the Go Balls 24-7 boards for saying that. Uh, who knows? Um, he says, we don't want guys to get hesitant. Uh, we have to figure out flow of the game. Some nights the basketball's not going in. Okay, we have to change some things, but we can't fast break all the time. Uh, so they, they were. He was asked about tempo um, there. So they're, you know, they're a team that's scuffling a little bit to figure out things offensively. I'm going to say they're my team. I'm pleasantly surprised by because I did not think that I, you know, I picked them to finish like eighth in the league. They're they seem better than that. Their only two losses are to very good teams. Florida State and Memphis. Um, but they also are a team that's searching a bit offensively. So, you know, who knows what that means when you get the league play. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they're a team that, like, as much as they've been pretty dominant in the, the regular season, the non-conference of the last couple of years with their with their talented squads, they, they haven't done as well at the end of the season. So I, I, I guess we'll see. But but right now I do feel like they uh, they're getting the most out of their guys. So. Uh, yeah. That's a team, and like you said, I, I thought they'd finish uh, uh, finish to kind of like you said, like in that eighth ish kind of range. And uh, yeah, it looks like the, they they might be in a, in position to be a little better. Um, I, I will also say it's it's a little bit tough right now to say uh, uh, you know pleasant surprises in the SEC because the SEC has taken some some bad yeah. losses. Oh, it's tough. Much worse. Like a lot of teams have taken a lot worse losses than any of the ones Florida has. Um, and I would also say, I mean, the SEC is not looking super strong and, and therefore the Gators will have every opportunity to, to write the ship of uh, a couple tough losses early in the season. Uh, so as yep. much as I kind of wish the sec was just, you know, hammering people in the non-conference to, to help the computer numbers. I think people should also say like, Hey, there's a chance that Florida still goes through with a really good record. And uh, you know, it's still, a, you know, it's still the sec. It's still a power five conference. Uh, if Florida does really well, they'll still be able to get a great seed and uh, go from there. Um, a team we should mention uh, that, that uh, you know, if Vanderbilt had won that game, I, I was going to pick them, and then they lost to Liberty. But I have been impressed with the early Stackhouse play. I feel like that's just one where it seems like the the change of coach has at least got them bought in and playing really hard and competing. And Aaron Neesmith has been spectacular. Yeah, they've been really good. I mean, I've been impressed. I was someone who was kind of waiting to see what the uh, the Stackhouse uh, <laughs> era would look like, and. Uh, yeah, I'd say that they, especially seeing the way that they competed against Liberty, uh, you know, like a sneakily really good game against Buffalo. Uh, like, I mean, the, like Buffalo is pretty good and they beat them pretty handedly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Buffalo and Richmond's a, Richmond's a team that might be in the mix for one of the best mid-major teams and uh, they lost by one in overtime. So a uh, good start for Vanderbilt. And, uh, you know, Aaron Nisif is a guy that's getting a lot of NBA draft buzz, which I mean, is like, I actually feel for Vanderbilt because, uh, you know, they're building and they might lose a sophomore in Neesmith that's... Uh, uh, you know, just a sophomore that you might have thought was going to be uh, a four-year player. Longer. And, yeah. Uh, and hey, uh, Scotty Pippen, uh, he, he's been fun to watch. I think he's a really good player, and uh, uh, yeah, I think they, they have things going in uh, going in the right direction there. So uh, yeah, shout out to them. Let's go with uh, the, the the they are who they thought you were. They are who they thought. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, uh, who's, who's the team that it, it either it can be good or bad? Hmm. I will say that's a good, that's a great question. Um, 
I'll go uh, first. I would say you, you think about it. You think okay. about it. Okay, go All for right. it. All right. Uh, for me, it's Kentucky. Okay. Um, they're eight and one. Their loss boggles the mind. Um, but young teams sometimes lose games that boggle the mind. And I know I just used the Calipari excuse, but it's just true, people. Um, they're they have so many wings that they present a lot of problems for teams defensively. Uh, but they also haven't played anyone other than Michigan state on opening night who they beat because Ty Maxey went crazy. So I, they are who I thought they would be. They're very good on defense. They haven't really been tested. We're not going to know anything about them until they play Ohio state really, other than they're very good on defense. And we, Eric, at least for me, my question with this basketball team is do they have enough pieces offensively to scare you? Because it seems to me right now they're exactly what I thought they were in the sense that it's like if Tyrese Max plays really well on offense, they can score. But if he's cold, they start like yesterday where against a pretty pedestrian Georgia Tech team, they're like, oh, boy, they can't make baskets. No, that's a great point. I would say that they that, that is kind of – an accurate take. And I, I don't know if they particularly scare me a ton. And I mean like, yeah, Ty, Tyrese Maxey is just like an explosive score, but he's not that kind of like over nine yesterday. Yeah. And he's just, he's not a good enough athlete to like, like there, there's some players I'm going to get to, you know, a team that has one of these guys that just, uh, that like, I, I just, I'm not sure if there's going to be nights where I'm just like, not sure how he can be stopped. I know Tyrese Maxey kind of had one of those, uh, but I would say he just kept stepping further and further back and they kind of Michigan state was kind of living with it and not expecting him to hit it. And, and he did. And that's, that's great. But you know, Michigan state was playing the numbers, but yeah, I, I still just think this is a Kentucky team that uh, doesn't like they're, they're I think they're going to be really good defensively. I don't think they're going to be like entirely overwhelming defensively. And uh, I don't think that their ability to score is that particularly dangerous. So that that's right. a good point. Uh, the team that actually is exactly who I thought I should have thought of this right away is, is Georgia because Anthony Edwards is truly incredible. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, a lot of us thought and kind of kind of new coming in uh, <coughs> uh, the pieces around uh, just aren't, aren't good enough. And uh, yeah. you know, Creed's already, uh, you know, talked about how he doesn't think a bunch of guys on his team are very good. So uh, that's exactly what we would have expected from, from Creed. Um, this is class act Tom Creed. <laughs> this is also completely unrelated to any question you've asked, but I wanted to bring up like, like there's actually probably a good answer to this. So I'm going to say, how did this happen? But I'm sure that there's reason. And this <laughs> was probably said in the past, but like Texas A&M in a tough transition year, their schedule has just been like super difficult. Like they, they've already played Gonzaga. They played Harvard. They played a really good temple team and they played Texas. So that's like a really tough, like non-conference schedule. And like, a, like, a, you know, in a transition schedule, you could do what Arkansas did and play nobody. And uh, that's right. what Arkansas did, and I, and I totally understand that. Uh, then you see Texas A&M, who's just got, like, a really, really difficult schedule. Uh, so I actually, uh, you know, like, like I, I really like Buzz Williams. I think he's a great coach. I don't think that team's very good, and I, uh, I feel for him with the schedule that he, uh, that he inherited to play. They're pretty bad, and they're going to get beat by Vanderbilt on January 11th and snap the, uh, the Vanderbilt conference losing streak. By the way, there's my <laughs> – there's my – one hot take for the show yeah they're not very good um so i i agree with <laughs> i agree with all that um yeah how about so disappointing team that isn't florida disappointing team that isn't florida 
Um, to me, you know, I'd, I'd probably say at this point, oh, that is a little tough to say. Right? Uh, I, I will say I actually went like, uh, I, this is, uh, this is kind of, like, I kind of went, uh, I, I was someone, I was someone who was a believer in Missouri. I actually thought Missouri was better than, than a lot of people did. I mean, some people are finished. Like a lot of people, it was like Vanderbilt was the, was the team you put at 14th and, you know, like probably Texas A&M should be 13th. That's what a lot of people did. I would have had Texas A&M 14th, but, um, uh, and then it was kind of Missouri and I thought Missouri was, was going to do, uh, do really well. And, uh, yeah, they lost to Xavier, but lost in overtime. They lost to Charleston Southern, like somewhat comfortably at home. Um, you know, they lost to Butler comfortably. We know Butler's good and they lost to Oklahoma. So, uh, I, I just like from my own, like ego was, was hoping that they would be a little better and make me look, uh, look smart and i guess we'll see a league play but that's a team that i i, I guess uh, i've been a little bit disappointed by but uh you know saying that that's comparable to florida may, maybe not not super fair but uh, i guess I, i'm interested what you have to say uh i'm gonna say south carolina and and i would say that you know can i asterisk it and say like if they beat clemson today and are competitive against virginia next week then you know maybe that changes my tune a little bit but their next three games, Clemson, Virginia, Stetson, who actually is decent. Um, you know, they've got to figure out a way to win two of those so they can get to like eight and five in the non conference and at least give the committee something. Because you know, a Frank Martin team's probably going to play pretty well in, in league play because they always do. But like, you can't lose to Boston University on your home floor. Like, you can't get run out of the gym by Wichita State. Like, you, you know, like, you can't need a last minute comeback to beat UMass. Uh, and then they just got absolutely spanked by Houston on uh, last Sunday. So like anytime they played anyone with a pulse and I'm not giving them any crap for losing to Northern Iowa, who I think is awesome. Um, but like anytime they played a team with a pulse, they've gotten beat this season. That's a problem. Yeah, it's a good point. And I mean, they're one of those teams that always seems to, take their lumps in the non-conference and then bring it together a little bit more. But it does, uh, it does suck from a, a metric standpoint from the sec to, like you said, uh, lose those games that they lost, get absolutely throttled by Wichita state. Um, yeah. You know, uh, watching that game and, you know, getting acquainted with all Wichita state's walk-ons is not something I, I personally wanted to do from an sec standpoint. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I do think that one, uh, that one hurts for sure. Yeah, no, so that would that would be my, you know, really Florida would be my other answer, to be frank. Um, but the one thing, you know, I was on a show this week, and, and the thing I said about Florida was, well, you know, they're kind of like one and three against the good teams they've played. Uh, but but it's one of these deals where they haven't lost anybody bad. So what, what I said was I feel like if they get to the beginning of SEC play at nine and three, like are people going to be rioting about that? Probably not, right? <laughs> um, you know, ten and two would be better, and I think that's probably where more were along the lines of what people expected. But you also have to remember that like nobody expected Butler to be a top fifteen type team, and they they kind of are. I think they definitely have that resume right now. I think they're. Yeah. Fit, I think they were picked like eighth in the the Big East preseason. Poll, almost which, they were, which is crazy. Yeah. They were almost universally picked near the bottom of that league. Which and like when you, when you think about it, we all messed up and we don't know anything. Oh yeah, well, I mean when you look at their returning talent and even the the transfers, I think there's a little bit of like, you know, Bryce Enzi or whatever that uh, that Marquette transfer who's awesome against Florida. I think some people were like, yeah, what's right. that Marquette transfer going to do? And you know, like that kind 
Uh, but yeah, that, that obviously was, uh, was very wrong. So uh, that kind right. of shows the, how the, some of these preseason, preseason polls go. Right. And I mean, Jordan Tucker has made a huge leap and like, I just don't think people, we, we all kind of slept on it, I guess. So anyway, um, big week coming up for the Gators, Providence in Brooklyn. I uh, hope to see a lot of people make it out to that one. And then uh, the Orange Bowl Classic, which I will be at. But we wanted to let Eric sign off today because uh, we have some cool news about, about Eric when SEC play starts. Yeah, so uh, pretty excited to say this. Me and my wife are going to be in Gainesville for a couple of games in January. Uh, super pumped. Uh, had, last time I was at a game was like three years ago. So, uh, uh, yeah, very excited to get back. Uh, so we'll be there on January 14th and then January 18th. Uh, the 18th is a Saturday game. So uh, Neil's going to be at that one too. So uh, there, there might be some kind of meetup afterwards for, uh, for those of you where uh, we might find a place to just go get some food or get some drinks afterwards. But uh, yeah, if you're going to be at one of those games on the 14th or the 18th of January, uh, me and my wife will be there and we'll be super pumped. So uh, I, I would love to meet uh, any, any of you that are there. Come say hi. So uh, yeah, the DMs are always open on Twitter. So uh, very, very excited for that. So, uh, uh, yeah, let me know if you're going to be there. Um, so thanks so much for listening to this show. And, uh, hopefully this helps, uh, fill this long 10 day void between, uh, between games. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to, uh, to talking to you again after Providence. Yep. Bye-bye everybody. Welcome to Florida basketball hour. I'm Neil Blackman on this rather quick abbreviated version of the podcast. I will preview Saturday's orange bowl classic game against, uh, Utah state, I think a very good team that is destined for the NCAA tournament. Chance for Florida to get a quadrant one victory. And, you know, it's one of those neutral floor games that will be looked at as a neutral floor game, even though it should be a pretty good home crowd for uh, for Florida. So, um, without further ado, kind of dive into uh, Utah State, which um, is a really good team. You know, I think one thing that Florida really needs to do uh, and this was one of the marquee non-conference games that you kind of circled before the season is an opportunity for, for the Gators to pick up a great, a great resume win. And um, I, think, I think that that kind of holds. Uh, that, that holds true, you know, tomorrow. This is a team that was in the NCAA tournament last year um, that they're going to play and return the bulk of that production back. Um, I think, you know, in preseason magazines, a lot of people pick the uh, Utah State Aggies as kind of a Cinderella squad, and um, you know they're a good they're a good team that's beaten some good teams. They beat LSU, uh, defending SEC champions. They beat South Florida, who I think is uh, a very good team. Um, the other night at the buzzer, and and they like the Gators have not lost to any bad teams. Their their losses came to uh, a, a two really excellent offenses, St. Mary's one of the nation's most efficient offensive teams, not offensive, and BYU, uh, who was, you know, so their losses are to two teams that rank in Kimpom in the top 20 uh, in efficiency. Um, For those wondering about Eric, Eric Fawcett will join me uh, for a full show to recap the big win over Providence and the Utah State game on Sunday. Eric had uh, basketball uh, obligations. It's, It's winter break down here, so... Um, you know, our, our squad was able to practice earlier in the day, which gave me time to go ahead and post up this show. So, uh, we'll just start with, with, uh, two, you know, the kind of the main thing about, I don't know, let's start with Utah state offensively and, 
and the kind of challenges they'll they'll pose for the Gators, who now rank twenty uh, third nationally in Kim Palm defensive efficiency, um, the highest the number's been really since the beginning of the season. They'll play a Utah State team that comes in ranked thirty fourth nationally in Kim Palm offensive efficiency, a very efficient offense, and and the main thing that. Uh, Utah State really does exceptionally is pass the ball. Uh, there's no more telling statistic on that front than the fact that uh, 60% of Utah State's field goals are assisted. Uh, that that rate is among the top 10 in the country. Um, maybe more impressive is the fact that uh, you know 83% of their three-point baskets are assisted, which means that they're moving the ball well on the perimeter. Uh, they have a pretty nice number of assist uh, assisted baskets at the rim as well at, at 50%, which means it's not a team that's going to drive past you. Uh, in fact, uh, their star player, Sam Merrill, who we'll get to, is not really a guy who, who finishes well at the rim if he has a weakness. Um, but that's certainly, I think, one of the most impressive things about them. Their offense under Craig Smith, uh, who was an excellent coach at South Dakota, uh, which is another you know mid-major terror that he came from, and uh, he showed up and just kind of immediately changed the culture at, at Utah State after three kind of quiet years. They win um, the Mountain West, or sorry, share the Mountain West crown last year with Nevada, um, but uh, they still get to hang the banner for those shared conference crowns. And uh, Craig Smith is kind of the opposite of Mike White. He's fiery. He'll scream at the officials, um, and his team reflects that, that they wear their emotions on their sleeves. Uh, they'll get in your face. Um, they'll talk a lot of trash. You know, I mean, they famously, um, you know, basically got their fans so riled up that, that Nevada almost had a brawl there uh, a year ago. So a very intense team. Um Plays hard, but also extraordinarily unselfish team. And and one of the best ways that they do that is is by setting you know tremendous screens. Um, they run a lot of screen the screener actions, which is just a an action where the target defender uh, is really put under a lot of stress because he can he kind of has to choose um, which what to do. Does he fight through? the second screen or does he help on the first screen screen and then try to quickly recover to to the guy running off the second screen um and i think that that's you know a very difficult action to defend and something that utah state does uh tremendously well and 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 here's the thing about that when when they can't get those screening actions to work um, they have the reigning Mountain West Player of the Year, and I think the best mid-major player in college basketball. And I include everyone on Gonzaga in that discussion, and that's reigning Mountain West Player of the Year, uh, Sam Merrill. Um, Merrill is kind of their late shot clock assassin. He's the guy that that really makes them go when they aren't in transition offense. Um, you know they. He has 20 attempts, according to Hoop Math, in late offense. That's more than double the next highest number. Um, and, you know, he's shooting 58.3% effective field goal percentage on those looks. That's just an insane number um, given given his 20. And, and given the fact that he's not terrific, 
um, in finishing at the rim, but he's he's just such a good shooter from beyond the arc that he can even take late shot clock threes, and and he can shoot either off movement or off the catch. Um, really pretty good at shooting off the dribble. He shoots sixty three point six percent on unguarded three point attempts, um, and and so you know really what you want to do is try to get out there on him on the perimeter and guard him pretty close and and try to make him go by you uh he's not a great finisher at the rim he finishes only a 42.5 percent clip that's similar to the andrew nimhard number and and not really altogether unsimilar you know body six foot five big guard that can see over defenses um but but like andrew nimhard definitely struggles um at the rim uh, you know, Eric Fawcett in his Gator Country preview wrote, uh, quote, their offense is beautiful to watch. They move the ball. They have players who pressure defense with their ability to score one-on-one. They perfectly blend the balance of playing within a system and seeing weaknesses they can break. They play to exploit. They don't turn the ball over. They take good shots. And when they miss them, they're tireless on the offensive glass. And I think a lot of that is, is uh, you know, is spot on. Um, this is a, a team that really does – According to Kimpom, get after it uh, on the offensive glass. They rank 66th in offensive rebounding percentage. But, they, but the other thing that's impressed me this year is how they get after it on the defensive glass. I mean, opposing teams. And remember, Florida's a team that sometimes needs offensive rebounds uh, to make them go. Utah State is third nationally right now in limiting opposing offensive rebounds. It's a big reason that they were able to overcome a huge deficit and beat. Um, LSU, and I think their efficient offense is part of the reason that uh, that they were that they you know you can they can get behind and they can come back on you because they can score in bunches and this kid they score efficiently and and they do do a pretty good job of protecting the ball. The other big challenge is this is one of the few teams that kind of has a puzzle piece that can that can perhaps create some issues for for Kerry Blackshear. It's a really intriguing matchup with. Him and uh, Nemius Keita, um, who they call the Portuguese paint protector. Um, Keita played for the Portuguese national team. There were lots of questions about his eligibility. Eventually, uh, he was cleared to play, and and he's certainly one of the most dominant rim protectors in the country. Um, He, you know, opponents shoot 10% worse from inside the arc. Uh, on average, when he's on the floor, for perspective, that is exactly uh, 1% lower than the number that Cavarius Hayes limited teams to last year. Teams shot 11% worse against the Gators from inside the arc when Cavarius Hayes was on the floor. Um, Keita is kind of the defensive anchor of the team, and uh, we'll get to their defense in a minute, but but he does certainly create matchups and, and isn't doing, uh, you know, I think, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily doing a terrible job, you know, contributing offense this year. It's been a, a little bit better. His offensive rating is a little higher, and and uh, so so there's there's some of that 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 is an element. But mostly, he's going to bring defense. Their biggest piece on offense uh, beyond Sam Merrill, at least this year, has been Justin Bean, a six-seven wing, uh, does a little bit of everything. Um, you know, a very efficient offensive rebounder, a guy that that is bigger than Keontae Johnson, but has a little of that Keontae Johnson dog in him, uh, and and I think you know, pretty pretty quality, uh, pretty quality secondary option um, behind Sam Merrill. 
Uh, but Merrill is certainly the, the sun around which the team orbits. Uh, Bean is a guy who really came on as a freshman late last year. He's kind of a spark plug off the vents. Uh, and a glue guy that, that defends pretty well. Really, when you look at this basketball team, Utah State, they're kind of a team that, that has six guys uh, that, that are terrific. And then... You know, there's kind of a drop off, but Sam Merrill, Justin Bean, Brock Miller, uh, Diogo Brito, um, and Abel Porter are all are all really quality players, um, and that's kind of it. Those six uh, are the guys that they really, really rely on. Um, you know, if you look at their their usage ratings. Those guys all play significant, significant minutes. Alfonso Anderson is the seventh man. He's the, the one other guy who plays enough to kind of merit attention. Um, the other thing that they do on offensive is, is, is really well is send cutters out of the pick and roll. Um, when Utah likes to run pick and roll, the other three players on the floor are excellent at, at cutting. Uh, defense Defenses are, you know, react to that initial screen and players are always looking for each other and moving that's constant offense that you hear on twitter that people criticize florida's offense for utah state's excellent at constant movement um and so uh you know that that efficient offense then gives way to a defense that's not terrific you know they do have some athleticism deficiencies especially as mentioned when when keita is not on the floor uh, I think that they struggle a little bit on defense, um, but still, I think you know a decent defensive team ranking seventy first. Um, the 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 anchor of that group is is absolutely going to be uh, Kata, and it's going to be important for for Kerry Blackshear to try to move him out of the paint. This is one of those games where people that get mad about Kerry Blackshear not posting a lot would be wise to consider that that here Blackshear is gonna be much better if he starts higher um, and at the elbow um, and try to limit the impact that Kata has on the game as a shot blocker um, Florida has not traditionally shot the ball well in sunrise um, so you know hopefully Florida can can shoot better tomorrow uh, Florida's ball screen offense uh, is going to be pretty important. Utah State will try to protect Kata by um, dropping off screens a bit, in particular with with, with their bigs, uh, and and that way um, they try to take away the player, uh, take away the rim, and the player guarding the ball handler will go over the top of the screen a lot. If you go over the top of the screen, I think you you limit. Um, you know, kind of the chance at the pull-up jumper, and and you limit the chance at layups with with Kata there protecting the rim. So that leaves either ball movement to create three pointers, or um, kind of those analytically inefficient, you know, long two-point jump shots. The DeAndre Ballard specials, uh, you could call them a little bit. Um, the one thing I'll say about you know, making them sound like they're some sort of monster is they still are seventy first in defense efficiency. South Florida had a lot of um, success getting to the bed, getting to the ten with with athletes. Uh, I think it's a good game where Keontae Johnson has some nice 
matchups. It's going to be a good game for Scotty Lewis. If Florida can put him in positions where he gets downhill. A good game for Trey Mann to kind of build on what he did in Brooklyn. Um, they had they had you know issues with those teams, and then they had issues with with St. Mary's and just you know just the ability of of St. Mary's to take care of the basketball and uh, run really efficient offense, obviously through through Jordan Ford and uh, Tanner Krebs and Malik Fitz, who who gave them fits. Yeah, I just went there. I'm sorry about that one. Um, but you know, the the reality is. Uh, this is a very good team. It's a well-coached team. Craig Smith's a guy with a veteran-laden roster whose stock is rising, rising, rising. I think that a Mountain West Conference title is is probably in the fold. Obviously, Fresno State's a very good team, although a team that they beat um, already, another quality win. That's kind of you know where where that is um, in terms of their six-man. Uh, and their bench, like we said, it's it's kind of a limited bench. Um, Florida's defense has to be playing at the level that it played at uh, against Providence, but with less fouls. Um, I do think that Florida has decent matchups for Sam Merrill, depending on how they help when Andrew Nimhard gets switched. Uh, and and do you, do you have Keontae Johnson on out on Merrill? Do you do you even risk Sam Merrill? Uh, against Trey Mann, you know, those are kind of concerns because Florida's zones that like to drop into Mann are, are probably going to create favorable matchups along with Utah State's screening actions are going to create some favorable matchups for for uh, Merrill. So you just want to limit the damage that he does and, you know, um, and see, you know, what you can do in terms of, of getting to the basket in the 10 playmaking uh offensive creation wise i do think that that a guy like uh trey man is, is a guy that can really impact this game and and i'm a little more bullish on uh andrew nimhard even though you know these kinds of defenses have this, this drop coverage defenses have have given him some trouble uh i think that we saw maybe his best basketball against providence and and florida certainly um will will need a good game from andrew nimhard to win this is a a very good Utah State team, a tough matchup for the Gators, but Florida's at home. Um, and, you know, the reality is, wow, Utah State has some quality scalps on their resume thus far, uh, particularly their win at LSU. Florida would be the biggest scalp that they'd get uh, based on Kim Palm rankings, based on Sagarin rankings. So I, I really feel like Florida's probably uh, the best team that they've played. And particularly on the defensive end, Florida's far and away the best team that that they've seen. Now, it's interesting that that the two teams that have beaten uh, Utah State so far have been really, really efficient offensive teams. Um, But, you know, that said, they haven't played, you know, a tremendous defensive team. St. Mary's ranked 102 in defensive efficiency and and still uh, found, found it, you know, not terribly difficult sledding against Utah State in a game that they controlled. Uh, LSU ranks 95 in adjusted defense, 14th in offense, ran out to a huge lead. So I do think that the key against Utah State has kind of been that their offensive options are are somewhat, I don't want to say, you know, terribly limited um, beyond Sam Merrill, but, you know, there there is some merit to that 
if Justin Bean is off. I mean, they have they only have two players on their basketball team that rank um, in the top 300 in offensive rating, uh, and those two are Sam Merrill and Bean. Beyond that, it's just not a particularly uh, efficient offensive basketball team, which is partly why their offensive efficiency rating overall has dipped a little bit. Um, I shouldn't say that it's not an efficient offensive basketball team. I should say that their efficiency rating is dipped because I don't think that they have multiple secondary options to support Sam Merrill. So they kind of go as Sam Merrill goes. He was marvelous against USF. Uh, They found a way to win that game after he fouled out, which I think was impressive for them and will build confidence. But I also think like Florida is a bigger challenge than South Florida. And, and I like Florida's chances to, to win a close game um, on their home floor. But in terms of the Gators, just very important to come out focused and not think as a young basketball team, which, you know, they, they just are. Um, you know, you're talking about your veterans being mostly sophomores, right? Um, and this would be a good game for Kerry Blackshear to get the team together and just say, hey, look, guys, we're not uh, – just because we played tremendous – in Brooklyn doesn't mean we figured anything out. And if if Florida loses tomorrow, um, it's just another missed opportunity to beat a good team. Um, so big game for Florida tomorrow. Hope to see everybody out at sunrise at the BB&T Center. We'll be back Sunday with a full podcast. Hope you enjoyed the uh, abbreviated Utah State preview. Bye-bye, everybody.